0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to Exploring the Lord of the Rings. I am... Sorry, I was a little distracted here at the beginning because I was checking some things. I am uh, excited to be back. And tonight, I just wanted to say up front, in case anything goes wrong, I am doing an experiment this evening. Um, I am experimenting with... um, uh, experimenting with a new service, which is enables me to stream the, the same feed simultaneously uh, to Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube all at the same time. Uh, so I was just kind of checking to see if that works, and it looks like it's working, I think. Yes. Okay. Very good. So excellent. Um, we'll see. Uh, Yes, Mad Violinist says, What could possibly go wrong? That's just uh, what I was asking myself. So, oh, hey, Cook, you got the YouTube alert. Great. Excellent. Very good. Um, and uh, yeah, I also got uh, a Christmas present. Uh, which you can't see, but by which you are seeing. That is, my uh, uh, my family gave me a ring light uh, so that the lighting is better on me, which is kind of fun. Uh, so anyway, all kinds of improvements around here. Uh, just um, pretty um, pretty amazing. I know Girthwin, right? It's like just, it's incredibly, incredibly professional. Um, but um, yeah, so um, anyway, so we will uh, we will see, and in theory, I have uh, folks who are, I, I, sh- I should be able to see chat from people in all of the different places. So uh, you know, the, back in the old days when I was trying to stream, when I was streaming to Twitter on my phone and people were commenting and I had to like turn my head 90 degrees to try to read people's comments. I shouldn't have to do that anymore. So that's a, that's a, that's a nice, up, a nice upgrade. Excellent. And bubblegum gal. Yes. I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing your comment coming through from Twitter. So how about that? Very good. Interesting. Excellent. Okay. So, Hey, things seem to be working. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, Very good. Well, let's jump straight back into things then. Um, uh, So we're going to be, first of all, happy 2021, everybody. Happy New Year. It's our first stream, our first session of the new year. Uh, The first session of year five of Exploring the Lord of the Rings. We've now completed four entire years. Of discussion, and no, we have not quite finished the Council of Elrond yet, but we're gonna. I'm confident 2020, the outlook is looking excellent. We're gonna make it through, I you know, by easily, easily by midsummer. I mean, there's no question, probably by spring, I would think, is when I would project we would get through the Council of Elrond. So we'll, um, we'll see. We'll see. Um but uh, but yeah, no, I think that we'll definitely uh we'll definitely be on the road south. Maybe by, you know, the end of twenty twenty one we'll get as far as Moria. It's possible. Karathras minimum, right? Minimum we'll get to Karathras by the end of the year. Um, so, uh, so we'll see. Um, but, um, but anyway, yeah, Tony, I agree. We should have a late toast to the professor. Of course, uh, f- five years ago, four, five, four years ago, right? Four years ago today. Uh, well, not today, four years ago, two days ago when we started the stream, it was actually on Tolkien's birthday, uh, which is January 3rd. Um, so, um so yes we can have uh we can have a a late toast uh in honor of the professor our first session since uh since his birthday here um it was always fun uh, the, you know of course his birthday lining up at the very beginning of the year uh makes it uh, kind of convenient in more than one way to uh uh to do the um uh you know to 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 sort of start things off to sort of mark that time as our as our starting point so um uh, anyway, yeah, Mad Violinist is wondering if we can have a a, uh, a reenactment of the uh, defeat at the Pass of Karathras at Myth 8. Maybe. It's going to depend on our location there, uh, I think, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. Okay, so um, I want to jump straight back into the text however because tonight we're gonna we're gonna celebrate by making some rapid progress as usual patented rapid progress uh on our way through uh the council of elrond here Uh, for those of you who don't remember because it's been a long time ago um well it's been a couple weeks uh, or a year i guess uh depending on your point of view um but um Oh, this is so cool. Sorry. So cool seeing comments from folks all over the place. Hi, Kimberly and Francis on YouTube and Michael on Facebook and oh, man Very interesting. Okay, cool. So yeah, just just uh, 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 This is gonna take some getting used to but it's awesome in a really cool way um, so uh, Anyhow, so uh what was I gonna say? I was interrupted myself. I was talking about oh yeah, recapping because it's been so long, right? So you'll remember we were uh we were in we're in Gandalf's narrative. Gwaihir just rescued him from Orthonk. Uh, we spent last time talking about Gwaihir and solving I think we solved an interesting problem which opens up really a whole new kind of back narrative uh, concept that I've never really even thought about at all before. And of course, the question, the question we were wrestling with together in our pre, in our last session was, where does Gwaihir get his information? Gwaihir relays to Gandalf the rumor about, or Gandalf tells us that Gwaihir had relayed to him the rumor that the Rohirrim are playing, paying a tribute of horses to Mordor. Where would Gwaihir have heard that? right? we know Gwaihir has every opportunity to see things happening, um. But he specifically speaks of having heard a rumor. From whom could he have heard it? Uh, of course, our theory, uh, in the at least what I think is the was was my my own conclusion of our all of, from our discussion. What I think was the most likely explanation is that he heard it from Radagast. Um, Radagast is his most obvious source, and Radagast's most obvious source, in turn, is Saruman. Uh, and so we were considering the possibility, which I'd never considered before, that Saruman is actually beginning to spread this rumor actively, and we were thinking about the, some of the ways in which that kind of a rumor uh, and the spreading of that rumor uh, could have, from Saruman's Standpoint, anyway, a salutary effect on the political state of Rohan, um, both by undermining uh, the king, right? By creating, I mean, if you're spreading the rumor among the Rohirrim, for instance, um, if they're going to be hearing that King Theoden is, is sending a tribute of horses uh, to Mordor, um, that's a really great way to, I would think, to erode confidence in the king. Right. I mean, the Rohirrim are not going to take that well. Um, So uh, the more the more I've thought about that, the more I really uh, like the idea, Um, the more sense it seems to me to make that Saruman himself would be um, the ultimate the ultimate source. Now, Angrist, I agree that Gwaihir might have seen horses being brought to Mordor with his own eyes. um, But what I don't see is to whom he would have asked questions about that. I, it just, it does seem to me, based on what we know of the Eagles, that he has a fairly limited number of bipedal interlocutors, you know? I mean, like, he hangs out with the other Eagles. They're bipeds, technically, I suppose. Um, but, um, but I mean, who else does he talk to? You know, I, I just, I don't think um, he, t- I mean, yeah. Bjorn I agree. If there were anyone else he's asking, Right, if there was anything else that he was asking, like if, if 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 he saw this and he was wondering what's going on with Rohan, right? Surely he'd ask Radagast, right? I mean, that would be, um, that would be the the. That would be the move, right? That would be the move. Uh, I, I would think for Guy here. So anyway, so I, I, and and again, so where would Radagast get this rumor? Well, he doesn't circulate with many bipeds either, right? Uh, so um, it's you know, it's again, it's, it's conceivable it could have come through the Bjornings. but again, that, but 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 where from? Who started it? And how could it have gotten there? Whereas, if we trace it, if Saruman is the origin of these rumors, it explains everything. It explains how the rumors are circulating in Rohan amir has heard them right we know that amir will have heard them so it's they're clearly circulating in Rohan um and radagast of course could easily have heard those from saruman as well as Sar- saruman would have briefed him right about all the things that are going on and um uh, yeah so uh so i definitely think that um, um i definitely think that that's um it seems to be the best solution. Anyway, so that's where we got, right? We got as far as that. And now we're going to get to Gandalf's arrival uh, or Gandalf's depiction of his arrival in Rohan. So that's where we are and we're all caught up. So, all right, let's, um, let's head back into it then. He set me down in the land of Rohan ere dawn and now I have lengthened my tale over long. The rest must be more brief. In Rohan, I found evil already at work. The lies of Saruman, and the king of the land, would not listen to my warnings. He bade me take a horse and be gone, and I chose one much to my liking, but little to his. I took the best horse in his land, and I have never seen the like of him. Then he must be a noble beast indeed, said Aragorn, and it grieves me more than many tidings that might seem worse, to learn that Sauron levies such tribute. It was not so when last I was in that land." "'Nor is it now, I will swear,' said Boromir. "'It is a lie that comes from the enemy. "'I know the men of Rohan, true and valiant, our allies, "'dwelling still in the lands that we gave them long ago.' "'The shadow of Mordor lies on distant lands,' answered Aragorn. "'Saruman has fallen under it. "'Rohan is beset. "'Who knows what you will find there if ever you return?' Not this at least, said Boromir, that they will buy their lives with horses. They love their horses next to their kin, and not without reason. For the riders, for the horses of the Rittermark, come from the fields of the north, far from the shadow. And their race, as that of their masters, is descended from the free days of old. Um, yeah, Gilgonthir, I also have really uh, enjoyed... I've always enjoyed Boromir sticking up for Rohan. I agree, it isn't something that he necessarily had to do. And it's interesting, Gilgonthir, because it's we've seen, we've seen Boromir's Homerism on several occasions, right? I mean, that's not a new thing in the Council of Elrond, right? All you've got to do is say something which just, like, touches upon Gondor, right? And you're guaranteed to get an interruption uh, from Boromir uh, to see him stand up for the Rohirrim, this is now it's still adjacent to his Homerism, right? I mean, it's, you know, he does emphasize our allies dwelling still in the lands that we gave them long ago, as if, you know, any, any lack of faith in the Rohirrim would reflect badly, you know, on Gondor. But I, 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 that seems to me uh to, to understand it merely in that way, right? That he uh is uh looking to prevent any indirect uh slander against Gondor, which seems to me an ungenerous way uh to read that passage. Um I think there's more to it than that. Um but anyway, so I certainly agree. Go gone through that that seems charming. <laughs> and Brandon, you're right. Now I have lengthened my tail over long <laughs> it might be the Signum University motto. Well at least the Tolkien Professor motto. That's um uh that's 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 fair enough. That's fair enough. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah, good. Tomorrow loves that Tolkien spent time on this discussion. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um Yeah, yeah. Um Right. Johannes is wondering, why is this the place where Gandalf decides to shorten his story? Um, It is a really good question. I mean, Johannes, I think it's defensible. So, I mean, presumably... He could have gone on to narrate his entire visit to Rohan, right? To go and explain, you know, he gave the back and forth between him and Saruman, right? When he went to Orthanc, uh, he gave the back and forth between him and Radagast before that. So if he were continuing to narrate on the same level that he's been narrating at ever since he began with, uh, you know, uh, when he left the Shire, right? And went out uh, to try to find out what was making him feel uneasy, um, if, uh, if he continued on that same level, then he would have de- des- described how he, you know, went into uh, Edoras and how he was brought into Mediseld and the conversation that he had with Wormtongue and, and with Phaedon at that point. Um, you know, that's um, that's certainly a thing he could have, I mean, it, it would have been maintaining the same level. So in a sense, he's kind of built the expectation that he's going to do that. So he signals, I'm going to skip this now, right? The rest must be more brief. Um, And he is, when he's allowed to complete his narrative, in fact, going to be a good deal more brief uh, about his narrative, though he'll be interrupted still several more times. Um, His synopsis of the Rohirrim situation uh, is, In Rohan I found evil already at work. The lies of Saruman and the king of the land would not listen to my warnings. Um, that's it. Like, that's the whole discussion. He bade me take a horse and be gone, right? That's, um, much more presumably was, um, um, was said, right, than that. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah. Anyway, so I I definitely do think that, um, uh, yeah, I do definitely think that, um, It's interesting. So I'm coming back to your comment about why does he choose this point? Well, politically, it makes sense. What's going on in Rohan is interesting and it's relevant, but it's certainly not at the same caliber. Right. It's not it's not at the same level. Remember, when he set out his what was the point of this narrative? Right. The point of this narrative was to address two questions. One, why did he not show up? Right? Why ha, Why was he delayed? Right? Why did he? Why was he not there for Frodo when Frodo needed him? Um, that's the primary pers- purpose of his narrative. But the secondary purpose of his narrative was to answer Galdor's question. What of Saruman? Right? What are his counsels to us in this time? And he's answering both of those with this. So the story of his imprisonment in orthonk answers both of those questions at once. Having now answered that, there are will doubtless be some present who are interested to hear about what's going on in Rohan. And it's important for some to know perhaps, you know, the current state and how the lies of Saruman and evil is already at work in Rohan. That's going to be relevant to some people, but it's not central anymore. If anything, that kind of fits in the context of the stuff that we were told that we were told in summary that they discussed at the very beginning of the council. Right. You know, uh, you know, not all that was uh, uh, said at this council need now be told. Right. Um, The different stories of. Unrest, you know the the thing of the 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 kinds of accounts of which Glowin's tale of the difficulties they're having in the Lonely Mountain is given to us as represent a, a representative sample, right? Um, this is more in that category. Like, yep, okay, there's trouble in Rohan, there's trouble in lots of different lands, right? It doesn't really, uh, uh, it doesn't really kind of relate to it. Um, GDC is asking, did Tolkien maybe want to wait to introduce the new characters too early? Well. Uh, historically speaking, GDC, it was because the new characters hadn't been invented yet, right? I mean, the king of the land, the character of Theoden, um was not developed until they got there. So, um, you know, Tolkien generally kind of makes up his story as he goes along. Um, you know, writing The Lord of the Rings was very much an act of discovery uh, for Tolkien rather than, a, a, you know, of... Uh, uh architectural planning you know in advance uh so again from a from a from a uh you know an authorial historical standpoint um it's not about him not wanting to introduce the new characters so much as not having any idea who the new characters were um uh but um yeah so and but dan as far as uh, what about the uh the the representative um uh why is there no representative present from the rohiram well ask whoever arranged this uh, meeting right that is to say uh, we don't know uh, you know elron says i say you're called but i didn't call you right um so ask whoever made the you know the the invite list uh why that happened um This hasn't been a council like that, right? This has never been a council where representatives from, you know, every land have been sort of, you know, meticulously drawn together. Um, um, Yeah, exactly. As Emily says, nobody was summoned. Uh, to uh uh to 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 this meeting. Um, presumably there are lots of I mean, I doubt there are any Brelanders there. You know, I doubt there are any there I'm pretty sure there are no Bjornings there. Um it's not actually a very thoroughly representative uh council. Most of the races of the free people are there. The Ents there's no Entish representative, uh which is probably best or else it would still be five more years we'd be doing this uh uh this discussion, I suppose. Um but um um but yeah no i would think that that's um uh so you know boromir I, I it's one of the reasons though it does seem to me uh to inform boromir speaking up though like there's nobody from rohan who can speak up on their behalf he feels a firm conviction that this this rumor must be untrue um, and there's none of the Rohirrim to speak up for themselves. So he's going to speak up on their behalf. And that seems to me um, good sense, very natural, um, but also very honorable uh, on on his part. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Lisa Linde says, I'm reminded of what Tolkien said in his intro, that his book was too short. Uh, Maybe the happenings in Rohan are something he wanted to include but had to cut. I certainly agree that in the revision, like he had to stop the revision process somewhere. I mean, you can say, which is true, that when he originally wrote the Council of Elrond, you know, he, this this reference, the reference that here makes is the moment when the land of the horse lords is invented for the first time. He'd never even thought of it before that. Um, and he certainly doesn't flesh it out until they actually arrive there at the beginning of book three. Um, but nevertheless, um, that doesn't explain Lysalinda, right? Why he didn't add more when he's revising. He certainly could have done, um, when he's going back and rewriting this, he had plenty of material, right? He now knew Théoden, he now knew Aemir, he he now knew Wormtongue. He could have definitely done that. Um, but he didn't. Um, and I think partly that's because it had to get published sooner or later, but partly because, I mean, he knew like that this, you know, yes, the book is too short on the one hand. Um, but, um, but he's a good storyteller too, uh, in general. Uh, and I think that he knows that more here would not be necessarily, uh, good. Um, exactly. Lupilia says, uh, you know, he brings it up to explain why the gap of Rohan is closed to the ring bearer. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's the context in which it's first raised. Um, yeah, yeah, um. Yeah, Green Great Dragon says fattening this particular chapter might perhaps not have been the best spot. Uh absolutely. Absolutely. Um Awesome. <laughs> Excellent. Sorry, just looking at the other uh uh at the other um uh streams there. Hi, YouTube people. Um, glad you guys are able to join me. I see some people who are talking about they've been watching on YouTube uh, the streams, and they're up to what, like the fifties or the nineties. Yeah, don't worry. Still in the Council of Elrond. <laughs> still in the Council of Elrond. Um, okay, yeah. So anyway, let's uh, so let's move on the lies of Saruman. And as I forget who said it, somebody said it a little bit uh, earlier on. This is, that's one of the, this is one of the sentences that I was thinking of last time when we were talking about this, that I do think that this, this does seem to me also to make um, the idea of that rumor originating from Saruman uh, more uh, plausible. Now, of course, that's not explicitly what Gandalf is referring to here. right? When he says the lies of Saruman, the lies of Saruman are the evil that is at work in Rohan. Right. Um, and the reason why the king of the land would not listen to his warnings. He's not referring to the rumors that Gwaihir mentioned, but the very idea that the central place, literally within that sentence, central structurally central place, right, that the lives of Saruman um, uh, uh, occupies there um, does really suggest. So when we think about he's just mentioned the rumor. Right. And he's just after this going to bring in the debate about whether or not there's any truth to those rumors. And right in the middle of it, he says, "Evil is our, is at work in Rohan. The lies of Saruman." Right. So, to me, that fits. Um, uh, that fits really, really well. Um, I, I think that that definitely works. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's also, we get no clear picture of what's happening in Ra. Again, he's only summarizing. It just gives us the one sentence, right? Um, We don't hear about Wormtongue, right? We don't hear any, um, we don't know how we, so uh, the king wouldn't listen to him and the lies of Saruman are at work. That's all we know, nothing about the mechanism, Right. The specifically the role of Wormtongue is something that we're going to have to learn about uh, later on. But of course, it's set up by this very simple synopsis, right, that the lies of Saruman are active uh, there in Rohan. And as a consequence of those lies, the king of the land would not listen to his warnings, which is certainly which is certainly a. An important setup for what's going to come later, right? Um, learning them, we'll, we'll learn the mechanism later, right? Um, but, um, uh, and I'm tempted to talk about some worm tongue related things, but I'll save it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um Okay. Um he bade me take a horse and be gone and I chose one much to my liking but little to his I took the best horse in his land and I have never seen the like of him. Um Now in context or sorry what I mean to say is without context, because we have no other context here, the only context we have is that the king of Rohan would not listen to him, right? The king of Rohan was giving Gandalf the cold shoulder, somehow as a consequence of the lies of Saruman. Um, so Gandalf's response to this, when he is rudely told to take a horse and be gone, though sort of semi-rudely, right? I mean, he could have just been kicked out on foot, there's no, um, you know, like, he didn't have to give him a horse. Wh- King didn't have to give him a horse, um, but, I. Um, uh, okay, Gandalf, without any explanation, right? You know, when we meet Shadowfax later on, and we see the bond between Gandalf and Shadowfax, and you know, we're given this clearer context, like he is the horse of the White Rider, right? The, the there's this the. There's this clear destiny, right, in the relationship between Gandalf and Saruman uh, as we're introduced to this later on. We don't, we don't get any of that, right? All we get is what kind of sounds like Gandalf bragging about something a little bit rude, right? I mean, Tiber, I agree. That is a pretty rude guest, right? I mean, to, you know, when, when he says, take a horse and be gone." and you respond by choosing the best horse in his land? I mean um that's um yeah uh that's yeah, I mean okay, JJ you're right on the one hand don't tell somebody to take their pick if you don't want them to take their pick I I I agree I agree um it's not, you're not wrong about that, um, but um, uh, it's not that he has no excuse. It's not that we can't think of an excuse for him, right? He needs, he's already said, he set this up in a sense, right? By reporting his remark to Gwai here that he needed a uh, a a a steed surpassingly swift right okay he needs a surpassingly swift steed so he can be and it's it's i mean obviously it's urgent right i mean he's not going to take some you know broken-winded nag who's not even going to make it halfway up you know to the shire right i mean he's he's uh i'm not saying there's no justification for gandalf in commandeering the best possible horse that he can find um But, um, but still, (laughs) still, it's still, uh, kind of a big deal. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um. Yeah, no, and some of you are talking about how, of course, Theoden is being rude, too, and I agree. I mean, yes, that's true. Uh, I'm not trying to say that that's not the case. Um, uh, yeah, Mad Violinist, I think you're right. It does feel like a kind of a common trope um, in, uh, in sort of Norse or Anglo-Saxon tales, the guest who takes the Lord more literally than was expected. Um Yes, I mean, it certainly sounds like, if you just take that as a premise, right? Um, Unwelcome guest arrives in the hall, the king makes a rash offer, right? Take whatever horse you choose and be gone. And then the unwanted guest takes the greatest horse in the land the most legendary you know the 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 course which only the king is supposed to ride and now the king is sort of trapped between abiding by his given word and um, giving up this thing that only the king is supposed to have right so i agree that seems like a if you told me you know that that exact sequence was the the premise for the beginning, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, a Norse legend, you know, a a, a story from Old Norse. I'd believe it. Right. I mean, that sounds very plausible. Um, So it certainly does kind of fit the spirit there um, uh, in that way. Um, yeah, Praise Moyer is remembering when people like King Arthur, most famously, Praise Moyer is, you know, will say something like, up to the half of my kingdom, right? And she's imagining somebody responding that by saying, okay, where should we draw the boundary, right? I'll take uh, I'll take 40% of your kingdom, thanks very much. Um, but that's, of course, exactly exactly the point, right? That's exactly the point that when a king says something like that, they don't mean to be taken literally, right? It's a, it's a, uh, it's an idiomatic expression of generosity. Um, not yeah, yeah, praise exactly what you're suggesting. If somebody says, you know, ask me anything up to the half of my kingdom, and it shall be yours. If you ask them for forty percent of their kingdom. You're that doesn't mean you're not being a jerk, you are right. Did they set themselves up for it? Yes, like it's, it's you know, they, they and again, King Arthur falls into this trap lots of times. Uh, but, um, but yeah, you know, I mean, that's it's still, um, if you ask for the 40% of the kingdom, you're still kind of the jerk, is what I'm saying, you know. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, um, right, right, yeah, it, uh, Sam says it's kind of like somebody saying Mikase casa is su casa, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah, uh, that's, um, exactly, exactly, uh, you don't literally, you're not literally giving your house to people, um, J.J. is quoting Bilbo. Dear me, dear me, I'm sure this is all very uncomfortable. You may remember saying that I might choose my own horse. Perhaps I took it too literally. I've been told that the Rohirrim are sometimes politer in word than in deed. Yeah, so J.J., as you're arguing, this is a thing that we've seen Tolkien play on before, right? Um, And uh, honestly, I would say going back to... um, uh mad violinist's point the fact that that same kind of trope is played on in the hobbit suge- is you know is is more supporting evidence that it's that kind of thing right that it's that kind of uh that it is a kind of trope that you would often find uh in uh in 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 that kind of northern story um, <clears throat> yeah yeah um, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Now, uh, Mudball, I, I I hear you. You know, as did Shadowfax. Actually, even really belong to Théoden. The Rohirrim couldn't, Rohirrim couldn't tame him. Yeah, I mean, we'll learn about this later, of course. I mean, Shadowfax hasn't been named yet. He will be later, but um, uh, he's not been named yet. And certainly, the backstory and and uh, the detail about him not being, you know, able to be ridden. Um, uh, is uh certainly not something that's that's kind of on the table yet um but does the king of rohan hold the rights as it were to shadowfax yes yes um yeah i i quite um, whether or not he can ride him um is that is claimed um bec- through Eorl the Young, right? I mean, this is, a, it's part of their, it, it's not only part of their, like, legal rights, exactly. I mean, it is, but it's more than that, right? It's a, it's a really important cultural thing. I mean, it goes back to Erol the Young and Felerov, right? So the, the heritage of the connection between the Mearis and the kings of Rohan is, culturally speaking, a really big deal. And therefore, also the kind of exclusivity of that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, now I agree, Tony, but you're absolutely right that this is also a sign of providence in Gandalf's great need right now. I'm only kind of considering the half of it, right? Just, just, this sentence, right? I took the best horse in his land, and I have never seen the like of him. Um, you know, I, I sure took the took advantage of that offer, right? You know, he didn't have to ask me twice. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah. I mean, I I I, I, I agree that he um, uh, he definitely. Uh, yeah, we'll get there to the providential angle. Um, Tony, because I do agree that that's very important, right? Um, and I, I do believe that that's why G- Gandalf wasn't just trying to screw Théoden over, right? Like, oh, you're 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 going to be rude to me? Fine. Well, then I'll take your offer literally and take away the best horse in your land. How do you like that, right? Um, that's obviously not Gandalf's attitude. Um, I. Yeah, and certainly, Gerth, when I agree, Providence is why Shadowfax acquiesces to Gandalf's need. Like I said, the, this sort of, um, you know, almost predestined connection, you know, the sort of the bond of fate which seems to connect Gandalf and Shadowfax is certainly, and more explicitly from the time when we meet Gandalf again later on uh, in Book 3, um, uh, I agree. That's certainly a really important um, uh a really important thing, but no, Dairuin. The um, uh, the link between so you know, yes, it's true that Shadowfax ultimately you know has his genetic origins right in the horses of Oromé, um, and that Gandalf is a Maiar, But that's not why Gandalf is the only one who can ride him because he's the Maaras have been traditionally the horses of the king. We're not told like what the relationship is. Um, uh, between Snowmane and uh, Shadowfax, but I'm sure they're related. I mean, I'm sure that Snowmane is one of the Maiars. I, I, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's said explicitly anywhere, but I don't think it needs to be spelled out. I think it's implied. Um, the horse of the King is one of the Maiars and has been ever since they are all the young. Um, so I mean, I don't know exactly, you know, what the pedigree of Shadowfax is and how, you know, it, you know how far how many generations you have to go back to find the common ancestor you know the common um you know stallion or mare uh uh with uh, Shadowfax and Snowmane but they're of the same breed right so Shadowfax is is special but he's not unique uh he's one of the Mayaris. he's the greatest of the Mayaris. i mean he's he's unique among the Mayaris, but he's not uh but it's a it's a uniqueness of, of of scale rather than of type. If you see what I mean, um. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Let's see. Um, oh yeah, we'll get to that reference. Uh, Astro Gypsy. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. The only thing we know about Snowman is the name of his, uh, of his sire, Lightfoot. Exactly. And uh, um, uh, and we don't know. But yeah, we don't know the relationship there. I like to think... I don't know. I mean, of course, yeah. how does Shadowfax differ from Asphaloth? Well, Asphaloth is an elf horse. Don't ask me what that means, because I don't know. No idea. Uh, elf horse he's a hor- did Asphaloth come from Valinor? Did he come across on the boat with Gorfindle? Um Or is he descended from the horses that were brought over by the Noldor? Um, I don't know I don't know no idea Um, but, um, yeah, Dan says, I always took elf horse to mean trained by elves. It's possible, right? But I, um, I think it's more than just training. Like, it's not like if Bill the Pony had stayed in Rivendell, he would become an elf horse. Sam thinks he might've become articulate, right? He might've learned to speak, uh, had he stayed in Rivendell much longer. Um, but I don't think you know he's going to be running neck and neck with asfaloth you know if he stays and was trained by the elves exactly it seems to me a a matter of uh um, uh a matter of uh breeding presumably um and i would think i mean remember the Feanorians had horses um they brought horses with them in the ships before they burned them uh so um it could well be that elf horse means, like the Maiaris, a descendant of horses that came to Middle-earth from Valinor. Um, I guess that's my, um, I guess that's sort of my headcanon about what elf horse means. Um, but if that's true, um, uh, if that's true, then um, I would expect um I would expect that um uh, the uh, they are connected then that the Mas and the elf horses are connected because that's that's the common route that they have um that presumably the Mas are descended from some like free elf horse uh who wandered into that area um, but i don't know i don't know um Okay. <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> Rowan is wondering where Fatty Lumpkin fits in the hierarchy, you know, with Shadowfax and Asfaloth and Snowmane and Bill the Pony. Um, that's a really good question. I mean, Hmm. Yeah. I think that Fatty Lumpkin, not Asphaloth, but Fatty Lumpkin, is the logical extension. If Bill had stayed in Rivendell, he might have ended up like Fatty Lumpkin, I think. Um, I'm not necessarily saying in girth, though perhaps in girth. um, But um, uh, the way that, you know, Tom Bombadil... Refers to him as his, you know, four-legged friend. Um, you know, suggesting the kind of uh, uh, rapport that he has with him uh, seems to me to be uh, uh, to fit the kind of increasing awareness, right? Increasing uh, or sort of like decreasing gap between uh, between Sam. You know, Sam's own perception of the decreasing gap between himself and the horse, right? Um, But uh, yeah, 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 um... Yes, the Mearis are connected in the lore to Orome. Yes, yes, that is correct, that is correct. (laughs) <laughs> right, hang on, hang on, Tony. I got to work out this analogy. Fatty Lumpkin is to Asphaloth as Goldberry is to Galadriel. Yeah, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Um. Nearer, right? Less remote. Uh, you know, nearer to normal experience. Um. Yeah lofty and yet not strange. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'll buy that. That works for me. Um, yeah, Matt says one would not be surprised if Fatty Lumpkin talked, but one would be surprised if he won a race. Uh, the opposite is true for Shadowfax and Asphaloth. Yes. I agree. I agree. Yep. Okay. Uh, no, no. I, uh, I, I'm totally buying it, Tony. I totally buy that analogy. That works for me exactly. Um, yeah, and Astro Gypsy, I can see your chat. I'm monitoring a couple different chat windows, so I don't. I I, I might. I sometimes miss things, um, but if you want to make comments, I I I do see them in real time. So, um, okay, let's keep going. Interruptions now. Aragorn breaks in. Then he must be a noble beast indeed. And it grieves me more than many tidings that might seem worse, to learn that Sauron levies such tribute. It was not so when last I was in that land. Now, what the first thing I want to do is compare and contrast Aragorn and Boromir's perspectives here. Um, because the first... <clears throat> I remember... Um, I always, I always, I remember as a kid really liking Boromir's interruption here, um, and definitely feeling that it spoke very highly of Boromir, that he was standing up for the Rohirrim, as we said before. Um, but what always kind of puzzled me was why is Aragorn so quick to believe it, but Boromir isn't? Um, why does he think? You know, does he think less of the Rohirrim? Um, is it just that? he's a little bit less of a homer than Boromir is. I mean, that's possible, right? That Boromir just refuses to believe anything bad about anybody associated with his home, even indirectly. Um, But of course, later on, if we remember ahead, in book three, Aragorn is going to say when Gimli brings back up the rumor that Gandalf spoke of, um, um, then he, Aragorn, says, I believe it no more than did Boromir. Um, so how do we, now on the one hand, he could have changed his tune or he could have been convinced by Boromir here so that later on he's saying, oh yeah, 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 no, I don't believe that any more than did Boromir. Um, but, um, but here's what I was thinking. What I, I, mean, it's true that he's less familiar with him recently, Tony. I mean, uh, that it, it could well be, it's not that he thinks it necessarily more like them to do it, right? But, I mean, his information is less current than Boromir's, so, you know, he doesn't know how things have, uh, you know, possibly changed in Rohan over the last generation or however long it's been since he spent serious time there. Um, But here's, oh, and that's interesting, Lady Lakata, I hadn't thought of that. Aragorn might have a higher opinion of Gwaihir and is therefore considering the truth of the rumor more than Boromir. Boromir's, you're right, Boromir's just dismissing, he doesn't care the source of this rumor. Right, I don't care how well informed your source is. That isn't true. Is Boromir's point of view right? So maybe um, Aragorn is kind of suppressing that reaction and considering the possibility of it. Um, but um, but here's here's what I'm thinking. Um, notice the. I think the difference is not necessarily that Aragorn is more sort of credulous or, or, or more easy, more willing to believe ill of the people of Rohan. I think that they take it differently. Um, both of them hear this rumor that the land of Rohan is now under tribute to Sauron and they send him a tribute of horses. And Boromir says it's a lie that comes from the enemy. It is not. They are true and valiant, right? Notice what he is trying to emphasize their truth and their valor, right? For them to be submitting tribute to Mordor would mean that they would be false and craven, or at least conquered, right? Um, they have to at least lost, if not actually betrayed, Gondor in order to be under tribute. Um, and he seems to take it as uh, i was going to say the latter but i forget which one i said second um he he seems to take it as a betrayal right or, or rather as an implication that betrayal has happened um in boromir's ears the rumor that they pay tribute to mordor is equivalent to um they've betrayed gondor right they've have, they've have, they've have, they are guilty of treachery and he won't have it. He won't hear that, right? But I think that Aragorn might be hearing that differently. It grieves me more than many tidings that might seem worse to learn that Sauron levies such tribute. Notice he doesn't say a thing about the actions of the Rohirrim there. He doesn't say, It grieves me to hear that the Rohirrim have turned into such horrible scumbags. That's like the opposite of his reference. He doesn't say anything about what they've done. He speaks of them as victims, what Sauron has done to them, right? He seems to, and and his reaction to hearing a rumor about what Sauron may or may not be doing to the Rohirrim fills him not with outrage, but with grief. Right with pity. Um, It grieves me to learn that Sauron levies such tribute. Of course, it's also bad news uh, that he has the power to levy such tribute. Right, that the that that his power over Rohan is such that he can effectively levy such tribute. Um, But again, grief is his response. Again, not not outrage, not disappointment, not disgust at the Rohirrim. Right, he's not expressing any anything like that. It's Sauron's actions that he's lamenting, right? And Boromir says, no, 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 the Rohirrim would never, never do that, right? And and again, Aragorn's response, the shadow of Mordor lies on distant lands, right? Dwelling still in the lands we gave them long ago, the shadow of Mordor lies on distant lands, Saruman has fallen under it, Rohan is beset, who knows what you will find there if ever you return? Um... And once again, Rohan is beset. He's depicting them as the victims here. He's not accusing them of doing anything, right? Of committing an act of betrayal. They are surrounded, right? He seems to realize here a little bit more, um, I don't know, realistically, perhaps, exactly what Rohan's political situation is right? If Saruman has fallen under the shadow of Mordor, then they are beset. They are surrounded on both sides. And yeah, Boromir might think of Rohan primarily as that, you know, land that's next to, um, you know, that that land that's next to his, right? That land that's next to uh, uh, to, to Gondor, and so therefore he might think of it as a kind of extension, right? And he might be thinking, well, you know, uh, Gondor will never submit, as he has already said, and so therefore Rohan won't either, because we stand together, Gondor and Rohan, right? Um, so he might think of Rohan as, first and foremost, the neighbor and ally of Gondor, whom Gondor w- would never abandon, uh, because of their 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 faithfulness and their own truth and valor. Um, But um, yeah, yeah. Um, But Aragorn sees things differently, and he sees the very difficult position that Rohan is in. Um, If anything, if if Aragorn is open to the idea that the Rohirrim have betrayed their old alliances he seems to be prepared to pity them for the situation in which they're found. Um, And I think that even again Boromir's response... Boromir's second response here is an excellent one. Who knows what you will find there if ever you return? Not this at least, that they will buy their lives with horses. They love their horses next to their kin and not without reason, for the horses of the Rittermark come from the fields of the north, far from the shadow in their race, is that of their masters is defend, descended from the free days of old. They love their horses next to their kin. They would never buy their lives with horses, even if they did betray us. They wouldn't betray us like that, right? This is, you know, Boromir brings it forward as clear evidence that this rumor is false, right? Because whatever happened, that this isn't what would happen. Maybe Boromir can imagine the Rohirrim betraying Gondor and uh, allying themselves with Mordor. But even if they did that, they wouldn't sell their horses to save their own lives. They would rather die than have their horses taken uh, to Mordor, um, agreed. But then I go back to Aragorn's perspective, and in particular to his first note. It grieves me more than many tidings that may seem worse that to learn that Sauron levies such tribute. I don't think that Aragorn is blind to what Boromir points out at the end. He knows. I think he knows better than Boromir um, what the attitude of the Rohirrim and their horses are. And I think that's why he says it grieves me more than many tidings that may, might seem worse. Compared to, oh, yeah, Saruman the White, the head of the White Council, has turned against us and is now, you know, mustering an orc army. That's really bad news, right? That's way worse news than Rohan might be now. Tributary to Mordor. That's bad news, but it's not as bad news, right? Um, But again, his note of grief, right? It grieves me more than many tidings that might seem worse um, because he knows the significance, right? If that were true. So here's what I think Aragorn is saying. I think he's saying if that is true, if it is true that Sauron is levying a tribute of horses from the Rohirrim, then that's not only really, really bad I mean, politically speaking, bad, right <clears throat> but it's also horribly tragic, right it is exactly like as um, somebody was pointing out <clears throat> before um. I forget who said it that, yeah, Tony uh, was saying that to the Rohirrim it would be like selling their family members into slavery. Yeah, but that's happened before, right? That's happened before. There are examples of conquered lands wherein people sell their family members into slavery because they have to, right? Because that they're compelled. <clears throat> by the new political realities of themselves as a conquered and occupied territory um, so I do think that, and yet uh, 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 Corita says it's exactly the sort of cruel thing um, that Sauron would do yeah, yeah no, I, I agree, I think he would um, I think he would um, yeah, yeah, the fact that they love these horses is ex- is exactly why it's plausible says Carita. um yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't think, I certainly don't think that Aragorn is missing out on the cultural significance of the Tribute of Horses, right? Um, although, again, Boromir's point is an excellent one and excellently well said. Um, but, um, but again, I think that it, although it both of his speeches speak really, really well of his heart. I think that Aragorn's response to this is, in its way, a little bit sort of more rational, right? We we don't know what has happened. Um. One thing that—one way in which we could, I think, perhaps paraphrase Aragorn's The Shadow of Mordor lies on distant lands, Saruman has fallen under it, Rohan is beset, is— Boromir, that's all well and good, but it's been... How long has it been? More than 110 days, right? I don't know how many days it took you to get from Minas Tirith to Edoras, but, you know, it's been several months since you've been in Rohan. And Boromir, Gandalf just told us that in the time since you went, well after the time that you passed through the Gap of Rohan and left the Rohirrim behind... Saruman has been revealed as a traitor at the head of an army of orcs. Who knows what you're going to find when you go back to Rohan if you ever return, right? And no, he's not imagining that what he's going to find is them cheerfully shipping off horses to Mordor. What he, I think, is warning Boromir that he might find is a burnt-out shell of a country in which the inhabitants are at best in mountain refuges and walled in, and their horses have been taken from them and sent as tribute to Mordor. I think that that is what Aragorn is... Tr- and that's why he's saying that it grieves him more than many tidings that might seem worse. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, um. Yeah, no, Johannes, I agree, it, um, it hasn't, I, I'm not, hmm, Can, do I know of any examples where people have, you know, sold off their families as slaves in Tolkien's world? No, no, I don't. Sorry, Johannes, the, the thing that I'm pausing about is I'm thinking about the situation in Dorlomen, um, under the Easterlings, like under Broda, uh and the other Easterlings. um. That's the closest situation to the kind of circumstance that I was talking about, right? A conquered territory with an oppressed people. Um, Dan is correct also to bring up, of course, the Numenoreans in their colonial period. Um, We know that human prisoners are being sent back as tribute. To Numenor um, during the bad days at the end, right, during the human sacrifice times. um, We don't know whether they were just dragged off by force or how that happened. Um, Michael D says he almost suspects that some of Sauron's armies are so constituted, and I wonder, Matt points out that the dead lendings under Saruman uh, are in a similar situation and uh, references the, the uruk High breeding program, um, which I agree is uh, uh, you know, we don't know all that much about that, but that's certainly something that um, uh, is um, I suspect involved there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but and, but ending exactly, I, I, I don't think that Aragorn is imagining the Rohirrim happily shipping off their horses to Mordor, right? That's what Boromir seems to be responding to, right? Like, that's... don't think that could happen. And again, I don't think that Aragorn is... Um, I don't think that's what he's thinking. I don't... I feel like Aragorn and Boromir are not really kind of talking at the, on the same level, if you see what I mean here. I don't think that Boromir is completely tracking with Aragorn here. Um, but, um, yeah. Tony, I agree, it's pretty horrible to think about. Thinking about the, I mean, it is possible to imagine Dunlending Villages, perhaps, being set under a tribute to like, contribute daughters, you know, con- contribute girls for the Uruk breeding program. I'm done thinking about that, but yeah, I mean, that kind of situation is it's that it is that is a black evil, right? What Saruman did, it is a black evil, but um, um, yeah, I mean, it's um, it's so like, does this kind of thing. Um, right, and Sam says, once again, thank you that George R. R. Martin did not write this book. Completely agree with you there, Sam. Completely agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, GDC says that Aragorn seems to have a better grasp on how fluid the situation seems. Uh, I think he's emphasizing the level of uncertainty. Yes, exactly. And again, I think when he says, who knows what you will find there if ever you return, I, my suspicion is that what he is what he's saying, what he is, um, uh, the image that he's attempting to, to evoke, again, is not the cheerful shipping off of horses to Mordor, but rather the complete, uh, wreck of the land, right? Um, the, the, uh, the destruction of Rohan. Um, they don't know that it hasn't been conquered. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. Next slide. Woohoo! It's a two slide day, or at least a one point something slide day. True indeed, said Gandalf. And there is one among them that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. The horses of the nine cannot vie with him. Tireless, swift as the flowing wind, Shadowfax, they called him. By day his coat glistens like silver, and by night it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. Light is his footfall. Never before had any man mounted him, but I took him and I tamed him, and so speedily he bore me that I reached the shire when Frodo was on the Barrow Downs, though I set out from Rohan only when he set out from Hobbiton. All right, let's just, let's start with that. Okay, Um, Gandalf's, um, Gandalf's, uh, waxing poetic about Shadowfax is kind of lovely. Um, and this is finally, um... That, well, hang on, Musical says we, we do know it hasn't been completely overthrown because Gandalf is reporting his conversation with Théoden. No, we know it hadn't been overthrown then, right? Um, which I know is, is fairly recent, right? But again, remember, he's just outed Saruman. They have every reason to think that Saruman had not yet begun an open campaign against Rohan because he was still um, trying to hide himself, right? He was still trying to, to deceive the wise, now that he's been outed by Gandalf, now that he knows that Gandalf has escaped and, and, and his secret is out of the bag, um, they have every reason to believe that now is the time for him to s- flip the switch. He could have invaded Rohan the day after, right? Um, uh, you know, Gandalf makes it out of town right before the fires begin, but it it could be immediately after that. So um, even, even though it's only been a couple weeks now since... Uh, Gandalf's conversation with Theoden um, the invasion and destruction of Rohan could have begun for all they know um, yeah good yeah Gogonther Gil- was just pointing this out too that um, um, you can't forget how fast the situation is changing across Middle Earth absolutely yeah yeah um, Okay. Um, Oh, yes. And uh, those of you on YouTube who are asking if this is a first and not a one-off, yes, yes. My hope is to do this from now on. Uh, It looks like the experiment is working, so I'm delighted. Um, Anyway, okay. So, right. Yeah. Now, Emily, you're right that it's Saruman's invasion, not Sauron's, and the discussion was about Sauron's taking horses as tribute. Yes. I mean, truly, it it can't have been true that Sauron had conquered them in order to lay that tribute upon them prior to like, like the rumor that Gwaihir was reporting can't be true. Right? Uh, in that way. Agreed. Agreed. That hasn't happened yet. Right? Um, and it's one of the things that I think that Aragorn is sort of suggest trying to suggest there at the end, like don't um, don't speak too quickly. Yes. They're true and valiant, but we don't know what's happening there. Um, yeah, good, right. Music, I was just trying to say the same thing. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, yes, but. Yes, but. Rohan's a big place. Um. Is it impossible? Is it impossible that orcs have invaded the Eastfold and are taking a tribute of horses from people there while the lies of Saruman are at work? Um, Gandalf will, he saw, he didn't report on it in detail, but he saw that Rohan was compromised. The lies of Saruman are already at work and Saruman is working with Sauron, right? Um... Yeah, yeah. Um, Lady Lakata, so why didn't Gandalf ascertain the truth of the rumor while he was in Rohan? Um, I would think the bigger question would be, why wouldn't he say anything about it here? Um, He neither confirms nor denies the rumor. But again, I think that he might not know. um, Gandalf, could Gandalf have tried to set things to rights there in Rohan before he left? Maybe but he's got bigger fish to fry. The Nazgul are after the ring and they're looking for Frodo and it's been months, months that he's been locked up on top of Orthanc, right? He doesn't have time. He doesn't have time to investigate what exactly is going on how much control does saruman have here in rohan exactly what's happening in rohan is 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 is, 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 is you know have the orcs of saruman are they already coming over the river and invading the net it's possible that they are right does he have time to figure any of the... no give me a horse i've got to go right i have to get the fastest horse i can possibly have and get out of here um yeah, exactly, Michael. There's no point in fixing Rohan only to lose the ring. Absolutely. Um Uh, yeah, so no, I I, I agree, Rachel. I don't think he, he, he does have time there at all. Um, um Yep, yeah, yeah. Um Okay. But shadow facts. But let us pause as Gandalf pauses. To dilate on shadow facts. And here we finally get some context, right? We finally get some context of uh, Gandalf's choice of horse. Why is it that he chose that one bald sentence by itself kind of makes him sound like a jerk? Um, but here now it's different. There is one among them that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. The horses of the nine cannot vie with him, tireless, swift as the flowing wind. This is where we were talking about um, we we're talking about Providence earlier on. Um, this is where we can see the hand of Providence at work, right? Um, he needed a horse surpassingly swift. He needed one that could outrun the mounts of the ring wraiths. And here in Rohan, he has found. Not just a horse, not just a good horse, not just a great horse, but one that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. By the way, this is a a really nifty little piece of evidence. Um, uh, if you ever, if uh, remember, I mean, I've talked about this many times, and uh, you know, more than you know, many people have talked about this many times about how in Tolkien's world. Um, You know, whereas in the modern world we have kind of accepted the idea of the myth of progress, right? That like sort of things get better, and you know, the the natural course of events is for things to get better and better, people to get smarter and smarter. Um, Over time, it's the whole, you know, the the um, the evolutionary myth. Footnote: I'm not saying evolution is a myth in the modern sense. I'm saying the whole myth, the whole like mythic worldview that has grown um, both before and around the time of evolution, which helped to facilitate the rise of of the acceptance of evolution, this whole worldview of like things are getting better and progress is being made towards this, you know, towards a greater and higher thing, um, that mythic idea, which is a modern mythic idea is very much opposite to Tolkien's worldview, which is much more like the medieval worldview. Um, and, um, uh, uh and that is that things were getting worse and worse, right? That things back in the old days were great, but have been in decline for a long time. Um, if uh, if you want a, one little simple quote to illustrate, doesn't prove it if someone's skeptical, but um, to illustrate um, that principle at work, that's a really good sentence for it, right? There is one among them that might have been fold in the morning of the world. What does that mean? Okay so he might have been fold ages and ages ago what does that tell you again from a from the from the sort of the, the 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 mythic perspective of the modern world you think oh so he's like primitive and crude right is 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 that what you mean um no of course gandalf means he is greater than any of the lesser descendants among horses right that have uh, uh that have that have um uh emerged um yeah um uh, yeah no i agree those of you who are talking about like the ways in which that modern myth has changed and been qualified totally agree. again i'm not i'm not trying to give any kind of commentary on it just pointing to the fact that that has been the kind of background framework of the modern world and uh and that the the medieval world and tolkien's world are totally different from and that that idea the idea of uh, uh as you say Bjarne's owner, uh, the, of like more advanced life, you know, the, the primitive versus advanced over time, right. That whole, the way in which, um, still modern people always assume that things that are older are cruder, more primitive, um, uh, <clears throat> less sophisticated, less good. Um, uh, again, that's, that's. I'm just saying that that general trend, um, and it's important to kind of remember that we're not uh, we're not in that place, right? We're not we're we're, we're not in that place uh, in Tolkien's world, and this is a, a wonderful illustration of it. When Gandalf wants to explain how amazing Shadowfax is, he is so amazing he might have been foaled in the morning of the world. He is possibly the greatest horse. Who has ever lived, or at least he is as great as the greatest of the horses who ever lived. Because, of course, it's, it seems to go without saying, uh, to you know, from 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 Gandalf's point of view here, that since the morning of the world, horses have been in decline. Have been in decline, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Girthwin says uh, Gandalf's relationship with Shadowfax is so pure and wholesome. I agree. I agree. It is, uh, it is, a, it is a beautiful relationship. Um, uh, yeah. Um, okay. So and then he goes to describe him. So having given that one little snapshot, right? Fold in the morning of the world. What does that mean? Right? What does that mean on the ground? The horses of the nine cannot vie with him, right? It's not even a competition. Tireless, swift as the flowing wind. Shadowfax, they called him. By day his coat glistens like silver, and by night it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. Um, he is... um um he is there is something i don't want to say almost magical because like it's quite magical almost explicitly magical is i think what i mean to say about shadowfax here um and the business with his coat is to me one of the interesting things. The rest of it, light is his footfall, swift is the flowing wind, tireless, the horses of the nine cannot vie with him. Um, those things are um. things that you could say about any really good horse, That rather that one could imagine somebody saying about like a racehorse, right? Um, if you were really enthusiastic, about how fast this horse was you could say those things right the business about his coat glistening like silver by day and by night it's like a shade and he passes unseen um that's um that's gives the air of magic to it right I mean, you could just say he is of such a particular shade of gray that in the sunlight it shines like silver, but at night you can barely see him, right? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it cannot be explained through mundane means, right? But what I am saying is that, again, it ge- that's why I said almost explicitly magical. Um, it begins... His description begins with the kind of mythic context. Might have been fold in the morning of the world. Then describes his speed really, really fast. Again, that's been said many times of many horses, right? Then his name and then his coat, which is one color by day and another color at night. Okay, it's not just a fast horse. Almost like a magical... Fe- like With some other kind of magical abilities. And then we get... Never before had any man mounted him. But I took him, and I tamed him. And so speedily he bore me, That I reached the shire when Frodo was on the Barrow Downs, Though I set out from Rohan only when he set out from Hobbiton. Um, Never before had any man mounted him. Um, is... Okay, so um, question, a couple questions here. One is, uh, well, now, never before had any man mounted him. Could just mean, uh, could just mean, you know, he's young. He could be not broken yet. That's possible. That's possible. But in the context, <clears throat> isp- and this is why I think that, that the mythic beginning of this paragraph is so important. One among them that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. The rest of it, if you didn't start there, <clears throat> if Gandalf just said, true indeed, the horses of the nine cannot vie with this horse. Tireless and swift is the flowing wind. Shadowfax, they called him. By day, is quote Grayson's like you know he's gray, and it, the gray is really cool. It looks like silver under the sunlight, but it, you know it's like shade at night. It's kind of cool. Um, really light footfall, um, hadn't been broken yet. You know, just still young and fiery. Um, it was awesome, right? I mean, all that would sound mundane. Could sound mundane. But that mythic context at the beginning, one among them that might have been folded in the morning of the world, it is not just a quantitative statement, right? He is so fast. He is, you know, so light is his footfall. Uh, you know, his like ability to pass unseen is almost uncanny, right? It's not just that, like, he is he's, um, mathematically more, quantitatively more than any other horse he is mythically different. It gives this, um, and so therefore, when I come to, never before had any man mounted him, it doesn't sound like, and he hadn't been broken to the saddle yet even, um, instead it begins to sound like a fairy tale. Right? The horse that no man had ever mounted. Um, this horse, it begins to sound actually kind of like the story of Falarov. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, some of you are, uh, uh, some of you are talking about unicorns, um, and, um, uh, and yeah, yeah, I mean, um, um, it gives it that kind of an atmosphere, right? I mean, and not, it's not exactly, I mean, he's not a unicorn, right? But, um, and it's not that myth, right, that... Gandalf isn't evoking the, the 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 kinds of myth. I mean, that's the unicorn myths are a different quality of myth. they are different things associated. Unicorns mean something different than Shadowfax means here. Um, yeah, um, but music. He is exactly more uh, than the sum of his parts. Ger- Gerthwin, I certainly agree. The unicorn comparisons point to how mythic Shadowfax is. Yes, exactly. Is there magic about him, I think? Yes, something like, or something that hobbits might call magic, right? Sam might call it magical. Um, but, uh, but I agree, Tamara, that Shadowfax has horse magic like Galadriel has elf magic. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Tony says it's like the finding of Pegasus uh, in Greek mythology. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, um. Yep, yeah.: um, Yeah, it's interesting, Sharon. It is a little bit like the kind of language we get. Sharon is reminded of the Tom Bombadil and Goldberry chapter, right? and sort of the kind of mythic language that we get about Goldberry and Tom. Um, well, certainly, Sharon, the Morning of the World makes one remember Tom Bombadil, right, for sure. Um, uh, but I agreed that The way in which Gandalf is trying to convey the impact of Shadowfax, right? Um, but I want to come back to the really excellent question, um, Johannes, that you were just asking. Uh, Johannes says, I always thought it was a little strange uh, from Gandalf to introduce sa- Shadowfax here. It's like, okay, so where is this super horse? Is he coming with us? Oh no, he's gone again. Yeah. I mean, it is, he gets a really big introduction here. Shadowfax does for a character that we're not going to see again for a very long time, right? For Gandalf to spend all this time emphasizing shadowfax only to say, oh yeah, but, but we've already separated, right? Um, it was good while it lasted. <laughs> did, right, uh, is weird. In, in, in one way. I, I definitely feel the weirdness of that, that it seems strange that we're getting this big ol' setup right here, and the payoff of this setup isn't going to come uh, for quite some time. Um, so, Johannes, what I would say to that, um, I, think, I think that the payoff for that is not in Shadow Shadowfax's character itself. It's in the significance that Shadow Shadowfax is there. That is to say, I'm back to Providence. I'm back to Providence here, right? Gandalf told here, I need a steed. I've never had such need of speed before, right? I need, you know, but here, you know what I need? I need a horse like that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. That's what I need, right? I mean, I've never had such need of haste in my entire life, right? Um, and then, boom. There's Shadow. Gwaihir didn't know about Shadowfax, right? here's like, "Oh, I'll take it to Rohan. I hear they have good horses there, right?" And um, Gandalf, expecting good horses, finds himself confronted with Shadowfax, who gets him to the Shire in the amount of time it takes Frodo to travel from Bag End to the Barrow Downs. Um, so, um, yes, I think that this speaks to providence, and I think that that's the big deal. So, if I, so Johannes, if I had to answer the question, why does Gandalf spend, I mean, other than just having it be a kind of a sort of a human moment for Gandalf, right, that he just kind of like loses control and waxes poetic, right? He can't refer back to his first meeting with Shadowfax without kind of, you know, lengthening his narrative just a little bit more to explain how awesome shadow facts is um to some extent i can i can uh i can hear that as you know kind of working in that way um but at the same time i don't um i don't think that it's just that either i think that Gandalf also has another purpose and that is he he was he was provided for um, this, is, this is good news, right? This is good news. He's giving them a piece of good news. Um, things, are, um, things are not hopeless. They have not been abandoned. Um, when he needed speed more than anything else, there is this miracle horse Right, this horse, which has could have been foaled in the morning of the world, right one of a kind in a millennium at least, right there's no horse like Shadow facts, and there he was, just waiting for Gandalf. no one had ever ridden him before um I think that it's I think that it's uh choice now um the um uh the taming business. Uh somebody was saying where did I see this? I think it was somewhere down here, but I'm missing it. Somebody was saying that uh I tamed him doesn't sound very mythic. I agree. Oh, there it was. Rowan Quickbeam. Thank you. Thank you. Um uh I took him and I tamed him. Now, I do not believe that we are to imagine a horse training montage here, right? Gandalf working with Shadowfax and you know slowly breaking him to the idea of being having a saddle put on him or whatever. Um, uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think that that's what we imagine here. Um, So that to me is a better question. Why does he say I tamed him? Because I agree, Michael, that tame would seem to downplay Shadowfax's role in allowing it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he... um, uh, I do think that he... um, He clearly does not, you know... He doesn't do the horse training money. He doesn't break Shadowfax, right? Shadowfax, as Gandalf himself will say later on, either Shadowfax agrees to bury you or he won't, right? Um, uh, so he will be explicit later on about Shadowfax's agency in this whole deal, right? Um, given that, why does he say here, "I took him and I tamed him"? I agree, I, I believe that what Gandalf is describing is, I went up to Shadowfax, I mounted him, he permitted me to mount him. Um, so why, why, actually Bren, that's a really interesting parallel. Bren says, uh, uh, I imagine it would be more like what Harry Potter had to do to ride Buckbeak, Yeah, actually, that strikes me as a very good kind of parallel. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, It does say something about Gandalf's status, Tony. I agree. Um, I agree. Well, shafts. I would, I mean, Shaft's asking how else to say it. The thing that's striking is are the eyes. I took him and I tamed him, right? We've got those two parallel clauses there, both of which, in both of which Gandalf is foregrounding his action. These are two things that I did. I took him and I tamed him. And so speedily he bore me um sorry buckbeak is the hippogriff in book 3 the prisoner of azkaban that harry has to bow to and treat respectfully and then buckbeak lets him get on and ride him um but the idea is again it's the permission of the steed right uh granting you the permission to ride that's why that's why that strikes me as a as a good parallel um yeah yeah So speedily he bore me that I reached the Shire. Okay. Um, I agree, Mad Violinist, that Shadowfax probably has grown in the telling. But see, I'm unwilling to take that as a full explanation here. Um, And here's the reason I'm unwilling to take it as a full explanation in this case. He could have. This could have been rephrased, you know. Um, we see him rephrasing things, like what we saw earlier on about um, uh, Boromir's reference to his brother, right? When Tolkien first wrote the Council of Elrond, Boromir didn't have a brother, right? Uh, Faramir only emerged when uh, when Frodo got to Ithilien, so um, and not even immediately you know, the Faramir character was originally another dude, um, and then slowly became Boromir's brother. Um but of course, in the revision stages, Tolkien has gone back and and you know, didn't insert a whole Faramir bit into uh uh into the Council of Elrond, but he does reconcile it with what came later, right? Here, you know, he um um here he, he could have done, he could have done that. Um, yeah, Emily, I agree. I do think that one of the things that it could well suggest is that the taming was still a process. Um, he doesn't see shadow facts, so in this way, it would be unlike Buckbeak and Harry Potter. Right. It's not just that he makes an approach to Shadowfax and he introduces himself to Shadowfax, and Shadowfax is like, oh, hi. Uh, yeah, sure, hop on, no problem. Um, there is a process of bringing, th- there's, a, there's a wooing process involved with Shadowfax, right? Um, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, it, it does say in the appendix, that Shadowfax refused, and it took two more days after that before Shadowfax would bear him. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, And that would seem to me... The fact that that reference is put into the appendix suggests that... Because the appendix, of course, Appendix B is written after the narrative, the rest of the narrative. Appendix B is quite late. So... It shows that the choice that Tolkien, in the the final stages, right, as Tolkien is doing revisions and stuff, in the final stages, Tolkien's choice is not to um, change this sentence. Instead, he takes this sentence, the taming concept of the taming process, right, Uh, and he elaborates that uh, in Appendix B. Um, So, yeah, I think that... um, you know, what is the taming process like? Uh Taming is a fine description of I am going to approach a horse who is wild and no one can ride him and I am going to ride him away, right? I mean that's taming is what you call that, right? Um but um and he's acknowledging that there was uh, that there was a process, right? Um Yeah, he's acknowledging that there was a process. Um, and that in itself, I think, speaks to Shadow Facts uh, in a sense. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but I don't want to lose sight of that. Shafts, I think that that's a really important thing. Another good reason why Tolkien would not have wanted to revise this sentence. It sounds good, right? I. Never before had any man mounted him, but I took him, and I tamed him, and so speedily he bore me that I reached the Shire when Frodo was on the Barrow Downs." Um, Gandalf, as I said, is waxing poetic, and that is true not only, you know, I don't mean that only in the sense that he's using flowery language, he's using poetic language. Notice the alliteration in that sentence. Never before had any man mounted him, but I took him, and I tamed him, and so speedily he bore me. Right? Man mounted, took him, tamed him, so speedily. Right? We get three instances of alliteration grouped together tightly like that um, in the sentence. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, I, 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 I think that would be reason enough for Tolkien to say, uh, no, 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 I'm going to justify tamed him. I'm not going to change that. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, in fact, instead, I'm going to write that into appendix B, right? Because, uh, uh, because I I like that sentence. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, by the way, this also that violinist i'm thinking about your timeline here um if uh he did not stay in Ederos, where it looks like he would not have been terribly <clears throat> welcome the question is as emily was just asking also um where was shadowfax located not in the stables presumably right if shadowfax is running wild on the in the fields like he is when they get back to rohan later on um if Shadowfax is running wild in the fields, then <clears throat> Gandalf's choice has a new context, right? <clears throat> Instead of going to his stables and saying, You said I could pick anyone I want, so I'm gonna take the only one that I'm sure you I'm gonna I'm gonna put, you know, JJ to go back to the peril that you made to the Hobbit. I'm gonna do the equivalent of Bilbo taking the Arkenstone, right? Um it's not like that, right? If instead he is thinking, oh man, I'm going to have to choose any horse I want and be gone. And then what? He Maybe he sees Shadowfax across the fields, then follows him, right? There Again, there's more of a, like, no, 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 no. This is a sign, right? This is a sign. This is a gift. This is Providence at work, right? That's the horse that I need. And presumably when he did tame Shadowfax, Right, and he's riding on somebody's gonna say, Oh, yeah, no, uh uh-uh, no, not that horse. Right? You can't take Shadowfax. Um, no one has ever ridden him before. Only the kings of the mark can ride the Mayaris. And then Gandalf would be like, Yeah, any horse that I choose, I choose this one. Um Yeah, yeah. Um so um Yes. Yeah. And you're right. Gandalf knows that they knows. So no, I'm sure that that last bit must have happened. Right. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to have happened at the beginning. Right. Um, You know, he's not like deliver Shadowfax to me. Uh, The process is different. So you get both the solitary approach to the horse. That is the the beginning of the relationship between Gandalf and Shadowfax, which seems not to have been love at first sight, uh, as somebody was saying earlier between the two of them um, yes yes um, yeah interesting uh, Gerthwin says i imagine gandalf convincing shadowfax just as he is doing to the elves and the others at the council here um yeah i very ver- very possibly right very possibly there was uh, convincing uh that um uh that had to go on there um, yeah yeah. And you're right, Michael, that he has a kind of a double claim to Shadow Facts. Um, first, in the fact that he could ride him and nobody else could, uh, is one claim on its own, right? Um, that presumably would be countered by the whole, yeah, he's one of the Maoris. Only the kings of Rohan are able to ride those. So that's what it's illegal under any circumstances anyway. Would then be countered by. Uh, by Théoden's rash promise, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Alright, I am going to stop there. Um, Next time we will deal with Gandalf's ride north and uh, his arrival in the Shire and what he sees and concludes there. Uh, when he's in the shire um yeah good good um <laughs> right right uh Captain moe as long as he doesn't say shadow facts was uh was was a kind of birthday present right it came to me right yeah yeah he could have he could have said that um yep yeah, yeah um Yeah, Shafts, I have no idea who would win between Asphaloth and Shadowfax. I don't know. I don't know. Um, if I had to if I had to put money on it if I had to bet on that horse race Uh, If I had to bet on that, that horse race, I'm putting my money on Shadowfax. I'm putting my money on Shadowfax. Asphaloth is awesome. don't want to diminish Asphaloth in any way, but there isn't the same air of uniqueness about Asphaloth that there is about Shadowfax. Shadowfax is really one of a kind. Um Lady Lakata points out that Gandalf has never seen his like and he has seen elf horses before, and indeed I'm sure Lady Lakata has met Asphaloth before. Um, so um yeah. Yeah, I um so yeah, if I have to bet on that race, um, if I have to bet on that race, I think uh, I think the Shadowfax wins. I think so. Um, yeah. Okay. All right, uh, so I'm going to, we're going to end our discussion now. Here's a fun thing. Always in times past, I've had to say, uh, if you want to see the field trip, you have to go over to hear that, but you don't anymore, because everybody can watch the field trip if you want. But let me introduce you to the the, the moment when we are transitioning from the first part of the show to the second part of the show, uh, when we do our field trip. Because of course, for those of you who have only ever seen uh, or only ever, you know, seen partial recordings, um, then uh, uh, you might not even know about this. But we're going to do. We're going to go back to our field trip here in the Lord of the Rings Online uh, and uh, continue our exploration of that world, which has been a lot of fun. Hang on a second. I got to do that thing. I sometimes have to do. There we go. Okay. Excellent.
1: Good evening, everybody.
0: Hey there, Valori. How's it going?
1: Uh, I'm going all right. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm Valori. Hi, I am the sort of uh, color announcer. <laughs> I'm
0: That's right.
1: Here to make uh, smart ass remarks and general observations. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. So um, uh, let us. Uh, so I think I can, uh, I can still. Yes, Blomgard, I think is still the nearest spot where uh, we're going to yes, go. Blomgard. Okay, that's where I still have my uh, my what's it called? Milestone there. So yeah, we'll...
1: this is milestone. Unfortunately, I don't have the hunter skill to get
0: anyone here. That's okay. So yeah, you can uh, take stay. It's a it's a, it's two hops from South Brie if you want to join us by horse. Okay. Yep. I-
1: Around
0: until everyone's here. Yeah, let's go out by the gates. Which way is that from here? This way.
1: Yes.
0: Really Over so. here. All right. I see the. I see the gates. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Green stand has the right idea here. All right. Out here by the gates. I kind of like the fact that they have lamp posts, and you know, really. This one little picture here is a really interesting glimpse of like <clears throat> the ancient and the modern culture among the peoples of this region, right? You've got on the one hand you've got the the carved totem dude, right? Even though this is one of the sophisticated ones with eyebrows, um, mm-hmm. but you know the one who almost matches the little uh, you know talisman that they're all wearing on their belts or around their necks and then right next to it is this lamp post right with you know a lamp with uh you know a hanging chain and and uh glass panes on the uh on the little you know windows and um you know clearly a much more modern technology than the original uh uh the, than the original statues here um, yep. but again, but there's a lot of antiquity here. I mean, we can see that this is an ancient culture, but as we saw from their houses, uh, especially when we were looking at things like the glazing and stuff like that before, um, uh, it was, uh, it was already pretty clear that these, you know, these people have, uh, have come a long ways. Um, you know, that, uh, world of progress that we were discussing. Um, yes. but, um... They, uh, they, they, they also just as clearly hold to their roots and remember their roots, and their settlements have clearly been here for a very, very long time.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. You were talking about the, the the path of progress for humans. It's like I can't think of any medieval scholar who, after knowing about you know the history of the fall of Rome, would think that oh, things are definitely things always go forward. They never go right.
0: Back. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's. Uh, um, no, I mean, and that's, that's part, of the, part of the reason that that was such a prominent idea. I mean, the, 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 the memory of Rome, like the cultural memory of Rome, was a major element uh, that informed mm-hmm. that whole aspect of medieval yeah. culture.
1: Back in my day. <laughs> right.
0: Okay, so we rode the... Now, one thing that we were wanting to examine, looking at the map here, so we've been to the Gladden Fields, and of course we did the first thing I wanted to do in the Gladden Fields, which is find the spot where Isildur would have uh, been killed, and mm-hmm. of course we found Saruman's excavations, which are, of course, very lore appropriate. Um, we also found um, what one might not expect to find, but I totally did expect to find, which was the uh, evidence of the old Hobbit um, Hobbit-like dwellings of Smeagol's people, uh, who who no longer live here, but who did live here before. Um, that's what we saw in the in our last field trip. So those are obviously possibly, her
1: granny's, possibly granny's house.
0: Possibly Granny's house, exactly. Um, uh, so those are two, like the top two things on my list. Right when I'm making a, a tourist list of the of the garden fields, those are the two things I was looking for. Um, other than that. The only th- I can't think of anything else that like we should look for from you know the perspective of, uh, um, you know things that we know about the Gladden Fields in the you know from the from the books. What I am thinking is of other things that we've seen, and we did see that there were there was a camp, right? Yes. Was that on this side of the river? Uh, I believe so, yeah, it was on the I, uh, I yeah, I have vague memories of being over near the activate. So let's 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 ride north here and let's see if we fires, can find lots of smoke. Yes, exactly. Big fires, lots of smoke. So and I didn't see them. We rode all the way down this road this trail to Blomgard, but I don't remember seeing the camp over here or those fires. Hmm. So I definitely wanna I think they were, no, they
1: were on the mountain
0: part. So are they right. up higher, uh, or are they down lower from where we are?
1: Well, I'm not sure how to get there. Whether you have to be, uh, have to ride up to the foothills, or whether you had to be up, and go down. That's the thing is, I'm not quite sure where we're making our approach.
0: Yeah.
2: around the archaeological excavation, either to the north or south, and eventually run into the fires. So if we just stay no. over
0: here, we'll we'll run into them.
2: Well, you have to cross the river. They,
0: are on the, they other are on the other side of the river.
2: Yeah, they're at the foothills of the mountains. Yeah. I, did,
0: okay. I couldn't
1: see where the mountain was. Where, where
0: All right. was well, I know we were looking across water at them. All right. Can we just get down there? Mm-hmm. Was this? Yeah. yeah, here we go. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. Hey, look, and the deer aren't even trying to attack me. How pleasant.
1: Yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yet. Okay.
1: A lot of warthogs, though. Not happy to see us. All
0: right. Yeah, there's the excavation. Or one of the excavations, so it was not far from here. Yeah, I remember looking across water, but of course there's so much water over here. You know, the gladden fields are so swamped. It was,
1: like, rainy and cloudy when we were here too, so it was a little hard to get your bearings. Yeah, but I think it was on that mountain on, um, let's see, on the northern side. Yes. The okay,
0: northern side. So up behind the hobbit holes, then.
2: Yes, I believe so. Okay. That's the south.
0: That's the South Hobbit. Mountain.
2: Yeah, Hobbits to the South, Fires to the North. Got it. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, that would make sense that we didn't encounter it then.
0: Okay, so right now I'm facing straight in towards the excavation. So we want to loop around to the right here. We don't necessarily need to work our way through the whole mm. camp with all of the no,
2: you didn't miners.
0: Them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what are these... Why are there forlorn glimmers those are dead people we're seeing
1: uh, yes okay I mean these are marshes these are this is where a lot of people fell in a great battle of legends so
0: right oh and there's a dude right yeah, yeah. so I mean, there's an unquestionable dude. whether the glimmering folks are dudes or not these guys are definitely dudes uh,
1: yeah yeah right sort of place so for it recent, very
2: very mythic
0: wait what was that Druid's fire
2: well, the the dead bodies we just ran past are all fairly new bodies. Oh
0: yeah, the the, the, the or... corpses still floating in the river. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. Yeah, we got a bunch of dead spirits here. Do we have a? Do we have like another set of uh, oath breakers?
1: Maybe, or maybe these are revenants of the people who were with this elder when he fell.
0: These guys, that guy right there, looks like a. He had a winged helmet, though. I mean, he looks like oh. one of the, uh, like the water spirits. What were they called? Mm-hmm. The
1: uh, Gloom Waters.
0: Gloom Waters. Yeah, he looked kind of like them.
1: Yep, Yep. I just got a thing saying you defeated Gloom Waters.
0: So. Oh, see, there we go. But he had a winged helmet that looked winged kind com- of Gondorian. Uh, Gondor. Yep. Large toad you. Yeah, I just noticed. I noticed that. I is noticed a that. It's a gladdened toad. They make them big here. That's an immature
1: here. bog toad too. So that's they Man.
0: come in bigger sizes. Man, wow. Okay. All right. So let's see. Where are we? We are on the northern side. <clears throat> so the army is coming up the western bank so I'm thinking historically, somewhere inland. This is the middle of the, what we were thinking would have been dry flatland along the riverbank during that time.
1: Yeah, the, this could have been, well, actually, we were thinking, like, maybe this part of, this was part, this was right up against the river, and then the river changed courses.
0: Yeah, changed courses and possibly levels. Mm-hmm. Okay, now over here we've got another gigantic toad, but also we—who ha- is attacking me? Hang on, I need my uh, toad repelling. Oh, he's got—he's got, a, he's got a little friends too.
1: Yeah, you didn't wear your toad repellent.
0: I didn't. Yeah. Uh, okay. What I was looking at—how many times? Yeah. What I was looking at over here was the water wheel. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I
2: don't think it's a water wheel, though.
0: Well, it looks like one. I mean, and there's like it's odd to put it in stagnant water, truly, Um, but some kind of mechanism, like it looks like a
2: digging mechanism, maybe. Maybe. There was one at the uh, Hobbit.
0: Right, yeah, no, I mean, we've seen these kinds, but that's what I was building to, is that we're still seeing what seems like excavation material, you know, a Saruman-ish machinery here.
1: Mm -hmm. I think given the state of this, this is maybe one that, maybe it got loose from them? Oh, this might be an archaeology camp up here, though.
0: Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out here. Let's see what else we can see. What's this stuff? Um, burned? Charred? What? Is this some kind of... No, it's not like a siege weapon.
1: Lulstrok. Looks like a digger. Maybe. Like some something just made to shift a lot of... Oh, this guy here? Oh, this, uh, this looks
0: like the trebuchets, or the giant... Well, it, it looked for a moment like a piece of siege equipment. I mean, goodness knows it we've does. charred enough siege equipment in our lotro-playing yeah. careers by this point. Um, <laughs> but... Sorry, I was looking at these uh, rivets or whatever they are. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah. now I'm just trying to, in context...
1: There's this other beam
0: here. It. Which is of similar yeah. kind. Yeah. Oh and there's a little crew. hmm Are they all together? Okay.
1: Getting there, I'm kind of rubber banding a bit
0: now. Oh, yeah, that's okay. Um. More of that charred would over. There. There's been a there's been a little fire issue. Here, there's a burnt tent. Well, we did see a lot of smoke. Yeah, and things are still on fire inside there. What are those big spiky things? So this does not look like excavation apparatus over here.
1: Unless it's some sort of slash-and-burn archeology span that we haven't heard of yet.
0: Maybe, it's like an enormous rototiller.
1: Yeah. What? Yeah, even? like we said, they were basically they were literally using a, a bulldozer. Yeah. To find the China Cup. Oh, new
0: flag. What is this? A defensive fortification? A weapon before it got burned down?
1: What's this looks it? Looks dwarven. The spikes? Yeah, don't they, well, that and the rivets. Doesn't this kind of look like stuff we'd see in Moria usually? The rivets. Maybe.
0: The spikes.
1: It's, yeah. The fact well,
0: certainly it's the scale of it is, you know, Moria-like.
1: Yeah. Maybe we accidentally stumbled into the dwarven rubbish pile.
0: Yeah, and there's the banner. I mean, I was looking at the banner, which is a spear yep. stabbing through a dwarf helmet, it looks like.
1: Oh, this is this is the uh, this, this is obviously made by the the disgruntled artist who could have risen to higher things.
0: Yeah, there's um there's a real there's a real dynamism in this picture, isn't there?
1: Yeah. It's got movement. Yeah. It's got beautiful lines. Yeah. This is this is the guy who was painting those faces on the drums. On the
0: saw. drums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: And the even has a little ribbon on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does.
0: Even that. It's funny
1: because it, it looks like a ro- it looks like a horseman's spear spearing something. You think this is
0: or or know. or even like a boar spear, like the the way that the flanges come off around the bottom of the blade there that you are just poking through the helmet, right yeah. right where the spearhead meets the helmet. Looks like it's got those flanges sticking out, which are almost like the the you know the guards on a boar spear.
1: What's it stabbing? Is it a helmet? Like
0: ear guard and a nose guard or something. Yeah, I think it's a helmet. It's stabbing up through the bottom of a helmet, and it mm-hmm. looks to me like a dwarf helmet. I mean, if I saw somebody wearing that helmet, I would expect it to be a dwarf.
1: Yeah, it's not a ear helmet. There is a reason for
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but anyway, but so, yeah. but back to the spiky things. I mean, we've seen lots of random spiky things in different orc outposts, and so it's possible that they were just like, we do spiky things bigger around here. (laughs) But they're burned. You've got the, these are the fire, whatever that did it, whatever happened, has been through here too. This is charred wood. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I think this all ties into the Amoria Hills, which are at the very end of this delta
0: Flood weight or sheep wash or whatever you call this kind of area. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go in and see if we can find. So we have a. A gate? Like a drawbridge, except it. It's like a. A fun like little. A retracting portcullis?
1: Yeah, it's something between a portcullis and a except it like a, stabs
0: like a, downwards.
1: A yeah, it's like thing. a dig. It, it's like a digger, like like a caterpillar digger. Maybe. Huh. huh. So these are the shapaghai.
0: Right. I that don't see. Do fil- anything charred in here. Oh, well, I mean, except the bonfire, obviously. But the, the fire, though it looked large from a distance, is relatively well contained. But hang on a second. Must Look over here. This is charred too. Must be the humidity. <laughs> yeah. This is charred too.
1: What? Which is charred?
0: This. Hmm. Back here.
1: Yep. And it looks like another big sort of engine.
0: Yeah. Now, we do have some, what is clearly siege equipment.
1: Yeah, these ones I'm familiar with.
0: All right, here's a siege tower, and there's another siege tower. Hmm. Where are Uh, they planning to wheel these? Look at
1: some of the things that they're dropping. They're dropping uh, dwarf-made stuff and axes.
0: Oh, in the loot?
1: In the loot that's being dropped by the enemies, there's definitely lots of dwarven stuff around here.
0: Shattered axes, yeah, I've got some Mm -hmm. shattered axes.
1: Dwarf-made sword
0: sheath. I don't don't have any of that. I just have gray dust and pebbled filth.
2: I'm just looking in the general chat.
0: Oh, I see. Right on. So under
2: on the ramp up to the siege engine, I'm seeing what seems to be like a box uh, of beat-up armor
0: like oh they're open the boxes nice yeah I saw the oh. boxes uh, I don't think
1: we've seen open boxes yet yeah. yeah stores these look like the stores we saw being hit in the, the holes
0: right
2: the ones over here have looks like snakes on a skewer and uh, rutabagas or something uh, Rue yeah. Vegas.
0: Snakes on Sweet. a skewer? They
1: do. They look like like, Where? like street Where food. Yeah, those are snakes oh, over there, on a skewer. There. Good source of protein. Leafy. Very low fat.
0: Oh my goodness, they are snakes on a skewer.
1: I've never seen that before. It's amazing.
0: My goodness. They could be eels, Lady Lakata.
1: The head's wrong, though they got little diamond-shaped heads, uh, which indicates these are poisonous snakes.
0: Right. River snakes tend to be very very orc-like.
1: Uh, yeah. Probably immune.
0: Okay. Oh, and I see the rutabagas. Okay.
2: Yep.
0: <laughs> right. Emily says it looks like mummified orc heads uh, in the other one. I
2: thought there were heads at first, too, but I'm thinking if it's rutabagas, they look like
0: I can I can I can go with Rutabagas.
1: I I'm, I'm just imagining the conversation a scout would overhear. Snakes in Rutabagas again. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and blimey if it, don't, blimey it, like if it don't look and like snakes and That's just what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag how to make the hobbit trolls even funnier. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's making funnier as to do them in a voice like the pepper pots in Monty Python.
0: Right, right.
2: Yeah. Snipes and rollbackers all over again. <laughs> oh, gosh, right, around me.
0: Oh, what's falling out of this one?
2: Uh...
1: Carrots? Crayfish? Carrots
0: could be purple carrots. Coleslaw. Coleslaw, purple yeah. coleslaw. Okay. Oh, well, this is a they nice have proper
1: Texas barbecue: snakes and coleslaw. Porkish brisket. Oh, mm. no, I wouldn't eat that. Nope. Yeah, you can see there's a lot of smoke over here.
0: Yeah, I don't know what they're <clears throat> burning in those fires.
1: Yeah, and I'm telling you, humidity does it every single time. You should see when okay. the burn leaves out here, and it's right. 90 degrees. Well, like the whole the whole valley looks like it's on fire.
2: Most of the trees around here are evergreens, which will burn hot and very smoky.
1: Yeah, evergreens got a lot of tar in them.
2: Uh
0: huh. It's just we can't
2: park.
1: use them in our wood burning stoves. Yeah. We give too much creosote.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's unusual in the lotro world for bonfires, I and mean, the bonfires are totally standard lotro bonfires. Mm-hmm. But the smoke and the smoke, the illuminated smoke, you know, at the bottom mm. at the base, is um, does, yeah. unusual.
1: It does make me think you're given this quest quite a bit of a ways away, and then have something to work towards.
0: Right, but here's what I'm trying to get back to is the framework, so you've got the camp, right? I would say so, um, you know, we are standing in one of the wooden structures which was not on fire, right? This siege tower has not been burned. The other siege tower has not been burned. The gate has not been burned. The palisade has not been burned. Um, The tents inside here have not been burned. But that structure leaning against the wall has. Uh That looks like charred wood. Just like the charred wood that we saw outside. We can see the different, completely different color. So I'm thinking we have two different layers here. There's the modern orc camp that was built on top of an old something. And I'm trying to figure out what the something was, because we can see similar, I mean, down here, looking down here to the southwest, right outside the walls, we can see this ramshackle bunch of beams and ladders and spiky things, which were burned. The fact that they're spiky things, I want to say, I mean, I hear what you say, that it looks, it's a little bit reminiscent about what we saw in Moria with the dwarves, but... I think it's more like just like orc camp spiky things. Okay. I don't know. All
1: right. You but, want to hear my theory?
0: Okay, yeah, I do want to hear your theory. So,
1: okay, so we're right next to this uh, little little lake near uh, Kutzul Kalai, which is an entrance into Moria. Okay. I get the feeling like maybe this is just where, like, this is like dumped equipment that got washed downstream.
0: Dumped equipment. Or yeah, the, like, that maybe the, like it
1: was wrecked anyway, like maybe it was burnt and then they threw it out.
0: The river would have to rise very high to wash it up here, though.
1: Hmm?
0: We are way above—I mean, we're up on top of the tower, but still. So is some of this wood over there. Um, so the th- true, your the theory the, would be that this was a stuff right. This was a this, this was a dwarf. Or maybe this was a dwarf camp of some kind,
1: uh-huh.
0: mining camp. Maybe they're mining. Hang on, I gotta look at the drum head, Now I, I can't take drum heads for granted. Now, oh, oh. this is this is disgraceful. Look, it's just muddy or like bloody handprints. Oh, huge hands though. Whose hands are those? Ooh. Troll hands. Must be. Yeah. They're enormous.
1: That is, yeah.
0: Though I do like how they've given... Yeah, skulled beards.
1: Yeah. Skulled beards. beards. This is obviously, they've driven out the dwarves that were here.
0: Yeah, and that's why they took the spear impaling dwarf helmet as their symbol.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh-huh. Hey, look at these two orcs doing the synchronized dance up on the hill.
1: We'd know more if we could figure out what shop our high meant.
0: Oh, somebody was saying before. Um, Lady Lakata says, uh, revenge folk, or those who seek revenge. Oh. This could be
1: an
0: ongoing challenge okay, so between these guys. Now, the next, tra- the next challenge is to figure out what song they're synchronized to. I'm going to say
1: Tusk by Fleetwood Mac.
0: I can't Good sing it because then we'll
1: get flagged. And- oh, that's
0: yeah. true. It's true. If we sing this song, we'll get to it. We'll get banished by Twitch. Hmm. Don't don't even hum it. We nope. can't be too careful.
2: If I can stream Weatherstock for a whole day and Weatherstock for four days without getting day, even so much as a DMCA ding, you're
0: fine. I don't know. There are, uh, ooh, okay. Those are probably eels. That are small intestines. Oh. I think we're seeing. Let's see. Uh, there are some seriously uh, questionable foodstuffs right here.
1: Well, eels do like murky river bottoms and stuff. Yeah, that looks like eels there.
0: I think this is a big bucket of eels.
1: I don't think it's intestines. Those turn gray when exposed to air.
0: Yeah, I would think so. Maybe um, you. Learn
1: from what's in this one? It looks like
2: maggots.
0: Very what the large
2: maggots?
0: The red ones.
2: Does it look like carrots or roots? Like big old grubs.
1: Like Hercules people grubs.
0: (laughs) I really don't know what.
1: It's got things sticking out of them.
0: Okay, so. Not bananas. No, the white things. That's what I was thinking were eels. Oh. The ones that you're. I think the ones that you're thinking are maggots are the ones that I was thinking of of, with eels.
1: No, for the eels are the big pink guys over here.
0: You think that these are. Okay. No, then there's the snakes on the stick, totally separate. I think the other one is mushrooms. Are they giant mushrooms?
2: Yeah. They're probably growing in there. Mushrooms and maybe
1: hardtack?
0: Or mushrooms and different mushrooms. Mm
1: -hmm. Eels are good eating by the way though. It's some of the tenderest, yummiest fish you've ever eaten. Eels? Yep.
0: Okay. I've never actually had meals. Uh, eels. I've had meals. I've ever, had eels. Yeah. <laughs>
1: when sushi places are fun to go to, again, get, uh, uh, what was it, unagi. That's good stuff, man.
0: Uh, I have to admit, I've never been a sushi person.
1: It's not raw. You get it cooked.
0: Okay. Because okay. it's a Yeah. Too, um, too many hours spent helping my wife study for parasitology exams. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of turned me off, more or less, for life. Still trying to get over that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> whew, boy. Well, I can't help. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It was the only legitimately scarring element of my wife's medical training, I think. But anyway. Um, mm. Yeah, the red thing. So I I guess that maybe, okay, I could believe that those are eels. Yeah. Pink eels. Okay. That's amore. more But then the the maggoty things, the the maggoty maggoty things could be grubs. Yeah. I don't know what the longer bits are sticking out.
1: I don't know. They look like claws or toenails. I shudder to think. I don't know. It's an arcane
2: back
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be maggots. They would be disturbingly large maggots. Yeah. Hmm. What's up with this guy? Those aren't native spikes, are they? No, that's armor. Okay. Yeah. I thought this guy had actual spikes growing out of his back for a second there, but no. Okay. Okay. Yeah I think this is just a gate I think this is a this is a cunning drawbridge without a moat that's what I think this is Yeah,
1: yeah it's an interesting system there
0: Yeah but,
1: but yeah there's no gears it's just we put a lot of heavy stuff on this end
0: Okay so yeah so if the burned timbers are the remnants of the dwarvish settlement.
1: Maybe mining, mining
0: camp, camp, something like that.
1: A lot of gleams being picked up right now.
0: gleams. <clears throat> right.
1: Big, beautiful green stones.
0: Aha. Yes. Right on. Those are, those are the jewel item here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ironfold is what this kind of crafting is called?
1: Yes, it's Ironfold Crafting Tier.
0: Okay. Yeah. This, is, this is so far beyond my crafting tier, I don't even, I don't even <laughs> understand it. Yeah,
2: Ironfold is the one after the mortar, one Doomfold. Yes.
0: Okay. All right, so you're saying that up here in Kidzul which certainly kind of suggests dwarves uh, that this is a back door to Moria up here?
1: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, okay. it wouldn't be the first mountain we saw that had a mysterious dwarf opening we couldn't find.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So next time we'll go up to the lake or the Tarn up here and we'll check that out and see what we can see there. Um. Then after that we can head. We should probably p- pop by Vale down here, as I have no idea what it is, and there's a stablemaster down there. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll set off down there next time, up to Kizukala, and then out to the Duskinvale, Uh and then we'll loop back around and do Gobel and then head up north to the Bjorninglands.
1: Awesome. Okay. Sounds
0: good. Cool. Excellent. Well, it's getting late. And uh all of the mobs are regening. So uh we'll I think let folks go. Oh wow, we've got the full panoply of uh critter friends there sending after everybody. Fantastic. Okay. Um all right, very good. So thanks everybody for joining us today. Uh thank you for uh uh Joining what seems to have been a successful experiment in my multicasting here uh, uh, here in twenty twenty one, pretty excited about that. Uh, so thanks everybody, uh, and we will see you guys next week nine thirty ish p m Eastern time, uh, and we'll be back for more. Thanks everybody, bye now. Bye. bye.